Hello and welcome to Accessible Theology. My name is Aaron and I'm here with Michael. And our goal is to make the study of God's word accessible to our listeners so that we and you would better love God, know truth, and live accordingly. Welcome back to Accessible Theology. It's Michael and Aaron here again. And uh, today, uh, when we just ran our random generator here, we are at number 19. And that number is calling us to answer the question, does fallen man retain the image of God? Okay, so our, so that's mm-hmm. the question. Um, and so, Aaron, if you want to begin that, and you can just mention what we mean by image a little bit for just brief bit and then answer that question just so that everyone's able to follow along a little better that'd be probably a good good thing to do we're going to go to james chapter 3 verse 9 and that'll be our text that we're going to launch out of um, in this discussion and then after aaron uh, explains this topic in three minutes or less we will have follow-up conversation as always so let me go ahead and read james chapter 3 verse 9 let me start in 10 because it's kind of the middle of a sentence here. So we're told, But no one among mankind can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. So Aaron, you have three minutes starting now. All right, our question is, does fallen man retain the image of God? And I think... I mean, I think the short and sweet answer is yes, absolutely. Um, and so what is what does that mean? What is the image of God and and what does the fall do to the image of God in man is how I hope to answer this question. So the image of God in man, as we read in Genesis in in the creation account, is that God creates us in his likeness and 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 so he's forming and fashioning Adam specifically in his own likeness to reflect uh, who God is in character and to reflect um, uh, what God is like in his action. And so the image of God is meant to um, meant to be just that in, in humanity. Uh, and so God creates Adam and Eve in in his own image. In his own image, he created them, as Genesis um, goes on to say. Uh, that would be uh, chapter early. When, and it's repeated then in... Uh, yeah. Uh, and so then when we come to, when we come to this passage in James, um, it says specifically that we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Uh, and so the fall of humanity uh, is, is when sin is brought into the world uh, through the transgression of Adam. And in that process, the image of God in all of humanity is not lost, but it is damaged. And so I think the best way to think about it is to say um, that uh, imagine, I guess, if you will, uh, a mirror where you're looking at a mirror and you see um, a, a reflection of what you look like in that mirror. The fall is is if as if you were to to take and break that mirror, uh, you would not see the reflection as clearly. And so the fall 
damages or distorts the image of God that exists in man, and yet it does not delete it. The image of God exists in all of humanity, uh, whether you're a believer or not a believer, you bear the likeness of the God who created you. Uh, and so what James is getting at here, I think I think he's making this universal and, and just reminding us that um, all people, every person is made in God's image. And this is post fall even. So we could we could look at its its placement within the canon and say, yeah, all people, even fallen people still bear the image of God. So yeah, this topic um, is important for us to understand because what it allows us to do is see the inherent dignity in everyone around us, right? Like you right. can't. We one of the reasons we can honest, honestly say as Christians that no one is fully a lost cause is because of the inherent dignity found in being an image bearer, being mm-hmm. someone who is created in the likeness of God. So this is this is vital, and and I I would think uh, I want to read the text Colossians three. Um, I always think of this when considering the image of God. We are told um, in verse 10 to put on the new self. Then this is speaking to Christians. So Christians put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all. Mm. And so one of the things we want to say is, if the image of God was utterly eradicated, then we couldn't be renewed, right? Yeah. But because it's disfigured or marred, we could say, it can be brought back. Mm-hmm. It can be redeemed, yeah. which is the biblical story that we're being redeemed and brought back to be in God's image. Yeah. Um, so Aaron, Martin Luther, uh, I think it, I think it's Luther's, is one of the more popular figures for this, where he actually did believe that fallen man loses God's image and that God kind of gives it back. Um, who's not aware of that yeah I believe it I believe it's Luther um, Calvin was a little more careful with his language and liked to use the words defaced okay but did not want to use words like destroyed utterly or things like that because right. they so what is what is key about if, 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 if someone were to say well that sounds like word games you know like what's mm-hmm. the difference between marred or destroyed and how does that actually why does that matter? For Christians, as we think about non-believers, yeah. what, what's the importance there? I think it shows, uh, as you've already alluded to, the inherent dignity and worth of a human being. Mm-hmm. And so the simple fact that that we are created in God's image gives us value. And so if that image were completely done away with, if, if it were deleted, um, and if we no longer were made in the image of God, uh, I, I think we would not have a basis for inherent worth of of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that 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 would have major implications for for many other doctrines down the line as well. Mm-hmm. And so, I think I think it the the crucial point for us to remember is that this applies to all people everywhere. Uh, and and that gives us inherent value, inherent worth, inherent dignity, uh, because we are created in God's image, and it's something then that um, should cause us to treat others with respect. It's something that should cause us to treat one another as as image bearers, believer or not believer. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I would say that 
it's kind of an important distinction to say that we stu- still do bear the image of God, but it is uh, it is not what it could be, not what it should be, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's gone. Yeah, I think just a practical offshoot that comes to mind immediately is if, if, if humanity completely lost the, the distinction of being in the image of God, what, what stops abortion? It's true. Or what stops yeah. us being any different than animals? Because I think a fundamental thing we need to see, and I, I constantly come back to this and thinking about ethics, is that creation or Genesis 1 through 3 is the creation blueprint mm-hmm. and nature is not eradicated. Mm-hmm. in any way and so when we see things like humans be made in the image of god but animals made according to their own likeness there's mm-hmm. like oh, there's that phrase repeated over and over again in genesis 1 of according to its kind this animal was created but then we're told as humans were created after the image of god and so if we lose that what we're actually being told is that sin destroys nature in such a way yeah. that the world is not the same as God intended it to be in, in a really bad way. In that right. what we see in the gospel and we see in the work of Christ is that he's restoring the fallenness. He's cleaning out the uh, the virus. You could say he's bringing back creation to its intended mm-hmm. point. So it's we do have some massive theological issues that come up. Yeah. If we want to say that humanity loses yeah. uh, the image of God. I so agree. when we think about image though Aaron um, mm-hmm. so you mentioned it's reflection um, it gives inherent dignity um, I want I want to make this maybe more practical or maybe force us to not just use theological jargon with it because uh, it's really easy to use that what does it actually mean to be in the image of God like I we say reflection we say right. those things but they I think that many actually struggle with what we mean or what what do we really get at well what is the significance of of being called an image bearer. Um, maybe let me just add this in a, in a day and age where personhood is so valued, right? Everyone's all about, well, this is my person. This is my identity. This mm-hmm. is who I am. This is my stand, whether it be gender identity all or sexual identity, all these various things we love to take on ourselves. What is so um, important about the image and, and what do we mean um, at a more practical level than just saying things like, well, it's a reflection of God. What does that mean for humanity? I think it means that there is universal responsibility to um, to live up to the image that we've been created in. And, and so there is, uh, I think even in some sense, there's, there's condemnation that comes um, in our sinfulness because our sinfulness is, is going against the character of God. And, and so I I want, I would say that one of the things is that, um, that when we are, when we are sinning, when we are rebelling against God, we are not bearing his image. We are not living according to um, what he would require of us. And so there's, there's some level, I think of, of just inherent condemnation that comes from that because, you know, we are created to be like God and then we don't live like God. We live like, like ourselves, I I guess. And there's some sort of condemnation that comes from that. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, so what it means practically, what it means specifically to be in the image of God, that's, it should be something simple to answer that question. Um, but <laughs> that's actually one of the, I don't know, one of the recurring questions that I'm, I'm constantly asking to say, you know, what, what does this actually mean and how do we explain it simply? Uh, because other than, other than character, other than nature, other than, um, um, living how, how God would require of us. Um, I think I, that's where I start to get into like, well, what is the, the practical import of the image of God? And, and I mean, there are, there are practical imports other than those things, but I, those are the three that I usually come back to. Um, I don't know. What, what would you say further on that? Yeah. Thanks. I, I think, so Genesis 5 says um, this, Genesis 5, 3 reads, When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness according to his image and native Seth. And I think that's massive. You see that Adam, after the fall, has a son who's in his likeness. So we're told before that, that humanity is created in God's likeness and that we then have this pattern put forward of imaging God. And I think image was helpful to see is to think about the natural relationship between a father and their child or a mother and, and her child is that, you know, we joke about this all the time. You have Zay, who's a little over a year and a half now, mm-hmm. and he does something goofy or silly. And we're like, well, that was Brianna or that was Aaron, right? Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. naturally as humans, we see an action, a character trait or a look or something in the child. And we say, that's like their parents. Yeah. And that means there, there's a weight to that. There's a joy to that. We want that. We want a child that looks like us. We want a child that carries on that likeness. There's something fundamentally heavy in our hearts that wants that, right? Yep. To the point where a lot of human history was you're, you were king and your child would bleed no matter how old they were when, when the father died because they were the son. Like, it's, it's, I think whether, whether whatever your views of monarchy and all those different things are, they seem to be really taking those opening chapters of Genesis seriously, right? They're mm-hmm. seeing the, the carry-on effect of the image, the fact that it reflects that. What I want to say is this. When we think of being an image bearer, is that we're made to live and look like God. We, And and that's why as Christians then, on the reverse end, when we become believers, we're told in Ephesians 5, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, right? God, your Father, has given you new birth through the work of the Holy Spirit. And now you start living like him, just like a child starts looks like their dad and starts, you know, when, when a child sees something their dad or mom does and starts taking on that characteristic and imitating it. As my mom would always tell me when my siblings would copy me, imitation is the highest form of flattery. Yeah. And it's also the highest form of worship. When you see something, you go, I want to be like that. I mean, what's an idol? But yeah. an image, but a false image, yeah. right? And yeah. so idolatry, when we answer this question, then does humanity retain the image of God. Yes, we have the image of God in that we have these, we have a, a void in our heart that can only be solved by God, right? We're created with this God-sized longing, as C.S. Lewis says, if you have a, a longing that this world can't satisfy, then you know there has to be a God to solve this, right? Essentially is what he says. And in a similar way, we say that as non-believers, though, all they do is make images and idols, false 
views of God. And as Paul says in Romans 1, they become like them. They start mm-hmm. looking like them. Yeah. They start acting like their idols. Or as Jeremiah 1 says, they became worthless because their idols were worthless. Mm-hmm. And so though fallen humanity has the image of God and has this inherent high status as the what we call in theology world as vice regent or as the the Lord in um, in some sense of the creation, we have dominion over this world. Mm-hmm. We've actually started worshiping creation and are starting to look like the world as opposed to the God who made us, right? And so right, right. when we think about idolatry at its heart, why God hates it, is humans, instead of reflecting him, start living like the world and start copying, as Paul says in Romans, creeping things on the earth and all that. Like we're actually, we've reverted creational hierarchy and instead of honoring god with our lives we worship the creation that he gave us to rule over mm, yeah. when adam and eve listened to the serpent they upset the whole balance of the universe and so there's cosmic problems then right. so so that's where I, I think that that helps me think through image in some ways better because when you think about we're made in the likeness of god we're to live like god and instead we make false images and we start trying to pattern after them and we think about it I mean, I'm sitting in in uh, your apartment right now. You have all these pictures of whether it be your wife and you or Zay or people you know. As humans, we just love pictures, we love <laughs> images. We mm-hmm. love things to see that give us memories, that give us that give us hope, yeah. that give us joy, that give us purpose. It's just inherent to our nature. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. We and we have this longing for that, we have this desire, and we can do it well. And even fallen humanity can sometimes do things well, yet though they retain God's image, they fundamentally hate God and are against him. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness and live mm-hmm. against him. So, so Aaron, if I were to ask the question then to, to, um, be in, to ask another practical matter, then let me mm-hmm. put it that way. Um, when you're dealing with a new believer and you're in the early stages of discipleship, let's say someone just became a believer. They didn't, don't have any Christian background, they're 18, 19 years old now, right? You were in college ministry, so you might have had this experience. How does understanding that this person, this fallen person, retains the image of God now that they're a believer and, and navigating discipleship, how does thinking through image bearing status, mm-hmm. now Christian, with all the past idolatry, how do you how does that help you better love the person and guide somebody in discipleship? My preferred way to think of um, image image of God in particular is through the lens of sanctification um, so as we've already said uh, in the fall the image of God is marred it is it is just not not deleted not gotten rid of but it it's no longer what it should be um, but when salvation happens, I think one of the things that is taking place is um, that we are through conformity to Christ, uh, the image of God is progressively being restored in us. And so um, the fall, the images is marred salvation. It is renewed and glorification is when we will experience it. Um, as it should be. And so I think in, in helping a new believer think through the image of God, we, what we should do is, is say to them, look, you need to, you need to cast aside the, the false images that you've been pursuing and that you've been starting to look like 
and you need to uh, to run to the image of the one uh, by whom you were created. And and so that that I think gets us not only to the cross, it gets us to the nature of Christ, that he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And, and so in salvation, we are, um, we are remade in a sense. We are brought back to life and we are then, I think, more fully, more completely and, and more accurately representing and bearing the image of God. And, and through sanctification, that's, I mean, it's a word that I think is best explained by simply saying that we are being conformed to the image of Christ. We start to look more like Jesus through sanctification. This image is, is, is renewed and it is increasing in us until finally one day um, it is, this process is completed. And I think in glorification, then the image of God in, in humanity uh, is restored to what it was in the garden. Uh, so that, yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's helpful. Yeah, thanks. Because I think it's key to say that in some ways we are becoming fully human, right? Like we we don't lose what it is to be human, but it's yeah. so disfigured that God is allowing us to partake of the glory mm-hmm. of being mm-hmm. the high point of creation again, yeah. yep. um, which is amazing to, yeah, it is. to consider. Yep. So it thank really you, is. It's helpful. Uh, so we hope that's helpful to think through that fallen humans retain the image of God. That means that they have inherent dignity. And it means, though, that we, when we're discipling people, we owe that inherent dignity to them. We speak to them as rational creatures who are suppressing the truth of God. But we're we're entering into a conversation that's already happening because God is, through the, their conscience and through the work of the law that's written on their heart, already speaking to them, right? And we're, we're helping them see that they are rebelling against their creator and the one that has made them made them in his likeness. So uh, until next time, we hope that you think through these things and are encouraged by what it is to be an image bearer. And we would ask and charge you as always to love God, know truth, and live accordingly.